House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Now, today I've got uh, a couple of guys with me, Mr. Joe Goldberg, of course. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> and Mr. Eric Shapiro has stopped the presses just to come in and talk. <laughs> How's it going, Al? It's going good. Good. It's going good. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm really trying to get on the next, uh, the next Bud Light can. <laughs> Uh, well, whatever I can do to support. Yeah, you. everybody's yeah. got a dream. Yeah, everybody's got a dream. Al, go for yeah. it. I'm I'm working it this week. I'm going to get out there. Today we have got an internationally best-selling author. What can I say? Uh, he's he's a great writer, and we're glad he's here. So, Mr. Don Winslow, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Well, Don, so. It looks like you've been doing really well. So what's what's the secret? Like how how does that happen? Like how does a how does a guy get into this kind of gig? So I know. Yeah. Why. In you case know, I, I don't was... get on the bear can, I I got to know. Yeah. Here. Yeah. You need a, you need a fallback plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, listen, guys, I was an overnight success in my fifties. You know, so I might be the last person to ask that question. But yeah, thank you. Things have been going well. You know, the books have been doing okay, and there's movies and TV that are being made, and so everything's good. I I, I wish I had a more interesting and romantic answer to that. You know, the the plain truth though is, you know, I I just treat it like a job, and I go to work in the morning and finish in the evening, and that's kind of it, you know? When you say yeah. overnight success in your 50s, do you mean, like, like, have you done a number of books up until that point, or or when yeah. did, oh, when yeah. did a breakout happen? What, what exactly happened? Yeah, I've had a few breakouts, okay. you know? <laughs> like I've been eating pizza or something, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you know, look, I mean, I, I think my first book was published in 91. Okay. Uh, and I think I was six published books into my career before I could quit my day jobs. Wow. You know, because I think my first book I sold for a, a whopping $7,500. You know, and then, I mean, listen, my career has flatlined, you know, several times in between. I wrote a book called The Power of the Dog, a big kind of tome about Yay. the Mexican drug cartels. Yeah. And, uh, that took six and a half years. And when, after that book came out, I think I had... $37 in the bank. Wow. And that, okay, so when was the last flatline? When was the most recent flatline period? Well, it was probably around then, you know. Uh, I did Dog. I did a book called Frankie Machine, The Winter yeah. Frankie Machine. Uh, and they were all, listen, they all got great reviews, but I, I wasn't selling a ton of books. Uh, and then I um, I signed with my, my dear friend, uh, Shane Salerno, who's a uh, A-list screenwriter in his own right, you know, uh, wrote little movies like Armageddon and the sequels to Avatar and that kind of thing. Wow. And uh, and Shane sort of turned it around overnight. So Shane wrote that, uh, Savages. He adapted Savages. He and I adapted Savages together, yep. yep. So how did that come to be? Uh, you know, uh, Shane and I did a TV series years ago together called You See Undercover. And we became good friends. And, and in the interim years, you know, I'd call him up and tell him what was going on. And he'd offer advice and, you know, tell me, oh, maybe you should sign with that person and not with this one. Or, you know, here's what they intend for that film or they don't. He always had sort of great intelligence, both with a small eye and a, a large eye. 
uh, about it. And, and finally, around the time that Savages was published, we made it formal. And he said, well, what if I represent you? And I said, great. I was his first client. And now, now he has 40 some odd, and, you know, with lots of New York Times bestsellers and big film deals and things. But I was sort of the ta test crash dummy, you know, for the story factory. So that's so, how that came about. And, you know, we've never had a contract. Wow. <laughs> you know? And so Shane, Shane doubles as a, an agent and screenwriter? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. That's kind of rare, and, isn't it? Oh, I think unique. I think yeah. more than rare. I, I can't think of another example. And, uh, you know, tremendously energetic guy and obviously, you know, genius. Uh, so that, that's what turned it around for me, but it, it was a struggle. It was a war, you know, uh, what we had to do over the course of about two years to, to become, you know, financially stable and, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, was that novels or short stories? Or, uh, all or of the, all, a lot of different things? all of the above, you know, primarily novels, because I'm primarily a novelist. I think I've done, I don't know, maybe 20 short stories. That's just a guess. Never really sat down and counted them. You know, we did the screenplay of, of Savages together. Uh, and then um, he talked me into writing a book that became The Cartel. Uh, which was, you know, probably a breakout moment. How many novels have there been so far? Mm, I'm not being coy. I, I, I think it's 23. Okay. And, um, all right, so you're talking about movie adaptations, TV adaptations. I want to get into all this stuff. But uh, sure. uh, Frankie Machine, um, which yeah. is one of the ones I, I read, which I loved, um, I heard you. for years that that was supposed to be made by Michael Mann, <laughs> then Scorsese, De Niro yeah. was always attached to this, as the star, and it seemed like such a natural, exciting yeah. movie. I want to hear about how far that got and why it <laughs> happened. What went wrong? There. Yeah. There's a story to it, of course. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it, it, Frankie bounced around a little bit, and then, um, you know, it was Scorsese and De Niro that picked it up. I, I remember the day De Niro called the house. And, you know, I pick up the phone here and it says, hi, this is Bobby De Niro. And I said, yeah, this is Tinkerbell. Because I thought it was some friend of mine, you know, goofing around. And they were all set to do it. And then, uh, and I actually wrote a column about this. I'm not telling tales out of school. A very fine screenwriter named Eric Roth. Oh, yeah. Who wrote, among other things, the great film Munich. He sent De Niro a book called You Paint Houses, Don't You? a non-fiction book about an Irish hitman in order to help him do research to play Frankie Machine. Wow. But it turned out that De Niro and Scorsese liked that book more than they liked oh, Frankie. Man. Yeah, they did that book. Oh, and it became Irish. The Irishman. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's how that happened. And I, I, I wrote a column, maybe for Deadline Hollywood or one of those things, you know, entitled I Blame Eric Roth. And, and uh, Roth and I have had good laughs about it. You know? it, was, it was interesting because I was aware of the Frankie Machine pending adaptation for so long that mm -hmm. that's what made me aware of you and your work. So I'm oh, okay. like in retrospect, did that create a good zone of publicity that paid off in its own right? Or was it just frustrating? Um, yeah, just frustrating, yeah. you know. Listen, it's, it's always great when, when people like Martin Scorsese and Michael Mann and Robert De Niro, they're all very nice people, there are no hard feelings here, by the way, at all, um, you know, are interested in your work. And, and that does pump you up, I think, publicly, and it's also a very good feeling. But, of course, at the same time, it's, it's frustrating to get that far and then not have the film made. 
but uh, yeah. stay tuned. That's all I can say. Yeah, and then, okay, so Savages did get made, and this was after all that activity with Frankie Machine, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah well after, yeah. Yeah, and then um, I, I love the book Savages, and I like the film very much. I, of course, Thank we you. want to ask you about Oliver Stone. I think, Al, last time I was on, we had a... Uh, a stone debunker, which is a whole other conversation about JFK. Okay. I was just curious, uh, and I'm a huge Oliver Stone fan, by the way. And I actually think that was, uh, one of his, like, that was his most recent really strong feature. Um, and I thought he did a serviceable job, but I'm curious, like, how you felt about the film and how the experience was with him. Oh, I liked the film. Look, I liked the film. Did I agree with everything? No. You know, I think Oliver and I had a, a disagreement in how the story actually ended. You yeah, know? he had two endings. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he added kind of a, in my opinion, a rump ending onto it. But, right, right. But listen, you know, I, I I'm aware that you you're talking about two different breeds of cat when you talk about a novel and you talk about a film. They they have different needs. You know, um, you know, the one is static and horizontal and the other one is vertical and kinetic and, and, and very time sensitive. So, you know, it was, it was an education. Um, you know, Oliver is, is Oliver, you know, what can I say? I mean, is, he's an interesting guy. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, I took him out location scouting and all that kind of thing. He's a bit frustrating. You know, he would say, well, what does a, a money launderer's office look like? And I, I would take him to one, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then he'd say, no, that's not what it looks like. <laughs> you know? uh, <laughs> say, yeah, yeah, but Oliver, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what it looks like. Or, you know, what what would a marijuana dealer's house, you know, in, in Orange County look like? Uh, no, that's not it. Okay. You know, but, um Yeah. Yeah, so he's so kind of tough, maybe a little hard-headed. Yeah, Oliver has his own opinions, but but he would probably say the same with me. Got you, got you. Okay, yeah. the, the thing I want to comment on, and I, I know uh, the other hosts are going to jump in with a bunch of questions, is when I read your work, because I've read The Winner of Frankie Machine and I've read Savages, um, the thing that stands out to me that I always think of when I think of your prose is that every sentence counts so much. Like, it's like you never let a sentence land halfway. Like, each one is a lightning bolt. And I'm just no, curious if that's intentional and how, like, how quickly you write, how long you spend honing and editing or what your comment is on that. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, look, I write a lot of drafts, and, and I'm continuously rewriting, right? Like, mm -hmm. I start work at 5.30, so by 2.30 in the afternoon, by around this time of the day, right, I know that anything new I write is going to be garbage. Um, mm. And so, but I don't want to quit the day yet, so what I do go, is I go back and rewrite, usually at random, you know. Uh, so my early drafts, I write very fast, you know. I write like I'm going to get caught, yeah. you know. Uh, and I'm not thinking about the reader at all. I'm only entertaining myself. But... As subsequent drafts go on, and then particularly toward those very late drafts, all I'm thinking about is the reader. All I'm thinking about is honing down and honing down and honing down so that, and thank you for saying that, every sentence counts, every word counts. I I honestly believe that sometimes a syllable can yeah. turn the chapter. No know? question, yeah. Yeah, and so I'll go back and I'll, like, I'll do goofy things, you know, like I'll, I'll think, um, okay, Today, I'm just going to look at the verbs <laughs> in this chapter, mm. just the verbs. You know, uh, is it the right verb? Is it the best verb? Is it accurate? Is there a better verb available? 
uh, I might do the same thing another day with nouns. Um, another day I'll, I'll sit back far away from the computer that I can't make out words. I can only see the shape on the pages. Um, mm. and ask myself, does the sequence look like what it is? Oh, wow. Well, that's part of my, my questions right off of what, what Eric's talking about. When you, when people read Don Winslow books, first of all, they say Don Winslow knows how to tell stories. He's a storyteller. And he knows how to write those stories. And I always say there's two things in there that make make them more unique than everybody else. One, I see dialogue as a character for you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's dialogue a character because it, it is outstanding. Well, thank you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, look, man, I grew up around great storytellers. You know, my old man was a sailor, career Navy guy, and he'd sit around with his drinking buddies and they'd tell stories. And, and I literally sat at the feet of some of the great storytellers of all time. Um, and then, you know, uh, my mom was a librarian, so we always had books and, and uh, we were never censored. I say we, my sister and me were never censored. We were allowed to read anything we wanted at any age. Um, and so I, I think I had that early advantage of reading great storytellers, you know, in terms of dialogue. Yeah. I, I read my dialogue out loud to myself, uh, because I, I won't hear the right notes. I will hear the wrong ones. I'll hear the bad ones, you know, and then, uh, then you get a chance to correct them. You hear those clangers, you know, and, and even though you're sitting in a room by yourself, you feel embarrassed, you know, it's like, yeah. how could I write that? I got, I'm taking notes here. This is, this is good stuff. You know, but one, one other uh, part of that, which Eric and you guys are talking about, the Oliver Stone, I'll take it to a drug dealer's office, Her, uh, location. Yeah. You feel it when you're reading San Diego Thank you. or Rhode Island. Yeah. And, and I know that's important to you. How do you make it, though, stand out so the reader says to themselves, I can see the desert in yeah. the Heron or something Thank like that? you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that because location is extremely important to me. I, I don't think I can separate it from either story or character, you know, because we're all such products of, of our environments. Uh, the answer is pretty simple, time. There's, there's no substitute for time. And it's time hanging out. It's time driving around. It's time walking around. It's time sitting someplace, you know, until you feel that you know it so well that you can smell it and then you can taste it. And, and, and for me, it, it's, it's a matter of trying to either keep the description short, um, so that you try to make one or two words evocative of other things or it's a matter of trying to be lyrical you know where where maybe i get in the head of a character who's thinking about those places or experiencing those places and i i try to convey the same feeling that i have about them i i fall in love with locations you know um i can remember to this day the first time i saw the pacific coast highway in, in southern california and and now 30 Five years later, I'm as excited driving that road as I was the first day. Those are your PI days. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's how I stumbled on it. I was in sort of inland Orange County. I had a witness punk out on me. I had a, an unexpected day off. I thought, oh, what am I going to do? I'll drive out to the coast. And I come over this hill uh, near Laguna Beach, California, and the ocean is like almost vertical. 
in front of me and and I just thought, yeah, I'm in love, you know. Are you conscious of how you're writing violence and sex and putting it on the page for readers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very aware. It's troublesome, you know. Um, it's a difficult ethical subject, and then it's a difficult technical subject. Uh, ethics first, you know. When you write, look, I spent 27 years on the drug beat, you know, writing books about the, the war in Mexico, which was extraordinarily violent and sadistic. And early on in that process, I, I had to come to a decision about how to write violence. Um, and, and the choices to, to simplify it a little bit are, do you sanitize it for the reader or do you show it realistically? Uh, I made a decision, uh, I hope was the correct one, to, to show the violence realistically. Mind you, in those three books, there's not an incident of violence that didn't actually happen. I didn't create any of that. Um, and then having made that decision, you know, um, it, it's it's tough because you don't want to cross what is I think a quite thin line um, between narrative fiction and let's call it the pornography of violence, you know, um, and that that's that's a hard hard border to dance on, and 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 maybe sometimes I crossed it. If I did, you know, it was inadvertent. Um, later on. Um, I, I started to come to the conclusion that, that, that too much violence in a book inures the reader to it so it no longer has an effect. It, it's like real life, you know. Um, you see enough violence, and unfortunately you, you do become desensitized to it. So then more and more I started to write not the violent incident itself as much as I did the reaction to it of, of people coming on to it afterwards or the funeral, or the, the feelings of the family afterwards, because that, that seemed to be a way to get at the real emotion of it. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Um, mm. it, yeah, it's just I, I, I was just more thinking about how aware or how sensitive you were, because it, it, times change, obviously. Yes, they and do. So people's reactions and what they look for and when they read. But I, it must be a tough to be balanced in the sense that you've got to make You've got to make the reader aware of something that happens, even if it's bad. But yeah. you, you want to be sensitive because you, yeah. So that you know, kind yeah. of doing the reaction is a good answer. Yeah, listen, it's it's hard, you know. Uh, 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 people often bring up to me a, a a chapter, a scene in in a book of mine called "The Power of the Dog," uh, where a guy throws two children off a bridge to their deaths. Yep. Um, and I, I remember the day that I wrote that scene, um, and how I felt afterwards. And, and again, it was a choice. Now that, that happened in reality. Um, I wanted people to get a, a real sense of, of what the drug war in Mexico was like. And, and so I decided to write that scene. Uh, when I was writing the cartel, the violence in Mexico, had elevated, if that's the word, to a point none of us could have imagined in our worst nightmares. Uh, there were things I did not put in the cartel that I know for a fact happened because they were too too horrendous. Mm. I have to think, it sounds very um, 
each book is very intense. You're very involved in it. How much does it change you when you complete a book? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I, you know, my wife says that after Cartel, I was depressed. I'm not, I'm not sure that I agree with her. Uh, I think that the research for that kind of book makes you sadder. Uh, it makes you angry. Uh, it certainly made me more political than I ever thought I'd be. So I think that, you know, of all my books, I mean, if, if, if any had kind of a personal effect or a lasting effect, it was that drug trilogy, you know, um, because again, over the course of, you know, 27 years, you see a lot, you, you get to know people who don't survive it. Uh, you, at the funerals or in the prisons, you know, um, and it, it can't help but have its effect, I think. Now, having said that, guys, I, I want to make it very clear. I'm, I, I don't want to compare myself in any way to the Mexican journalists, you know, who covers that, you know, over 200 of whom have been murdered and sometimes tortured for doing that. I, I'm not that hero, you know. So when we talk about the effect on me of this, you know, I, I don't want to over-dramatize that. Mm. There's also, within all of this, with the discussion of violence and journalism and realism and how it affects you emotionally, there's also the motive on your end, inevitably, as a novelist, to make it entertaining sure. so, and suspenseful and involving. So how does that factor in? How do you balance that with the realism? Uh, you, you have to remember what your job is, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'll, in the early drafts, be writing it very realistically with, with no thought to the suspense or the structure or the novelistic, if you will, aspects of it. Later on, you know, draft 10, draft 14, somewhere in there, when I'm going back, all I'm thinking about is the, the structure, the, the suspense, the, the drama. Is, is it doing its job on that level? And so there's a, uh, I guess you'd call it compartmentalization. I guess that's a word, um, yeah. you know, of those aspects. There's also humor. I'm blooded about it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, in, in Savages in particular, but I also remember <laughs> in Frankie Machine, there's humor also. So I guess it's, it's a yeah. juggling of, of these various human emotions. Yeah, but that's life, isn't it? You know, uh, I, I think we flip from tragedy to comedy very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and in all reality, you know, I mean, I wrote a book called The Force about the, the NYPD, you know, and there's a, I think, a, I want to say it's 35 page uh, sequence in there where nothing happens. Um, it's just five cops sitting around a dinner table telling funny stories. The editor kept taking it out. I kept putting it back in because <laughs> they were great stories, you know, and, and they were real. I'd heard those stories from cops. Uh, and I, and I think there, there is, you know, just as there is humor in real life in those situations, there needs to be humor in the fiction as well. And I, I enjoy putting it in. Uh, yeah, that reminded me also, I remember reading in the trays with the force, which I haven't read the novel. I recall, correct me if I'm wrong. There was supposed to be an adaptation directed by James Mangold. Yeah. Written by uh, David Mamet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, what happened with that? Uh, still, you know, still bubbling. You know how these things, okay. it's a, these, these are crock pots, not pressure cookers. You know? Yeah, <laughs> well said. 
Um, I'm also on that note curious about screenwriting and how you feel it differs from prose writing, particularly because you specifically have a very spare prose style. So I'm curious what your comment on screenwriting is. <laughs> you know, I am not one of those novelists that looks down on screenwriters. I, I think it's a very difficult and demanding art form uh, because it's an intermediate product for one right? Uh, a novel is a novel. You know, when I hit send and the book comes out, they put a cover on it, but it looks pretty much what it looked like when it came out of the computer. Mm -hmm. um, a, a screenplay, of course, is an intermediate product and, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of people are going to have their impact on, on what it eventually looks like. And also, and I alluded to this earlier, you know, they, they have such different needs, a book and a film. You know, a reader could, you know, pick a book up and set it down, pick it up and set it down. That movie, though, is running on a continuum and a timeline. And, and, and that it's always ticking, you know. And so every word and every syllable and every scene has to do multiple things. So, uh, I think I'm a decent screenwriter. I don't think I'm a great screenwriter. I know a few, you know, uh, so I know the difference. Uh, but it, it's an art form that I, I truly admire. You know, and, and sometimes, too, it, it, it's a little annoying, but sometimes that screenwriter will come up with better ideas than I have. Take credit. Take credit, Don. No, no, man. I, I'll share it. You know, they, um, uh, for example, they're making a television series of those three drug books right now on FX. And um, uh, the the writers have come up with ideas that I wish I'd come up with. Yeah. You know, I went, wow, that yeah, I wish I'd thought of that. That that's really good. So it, it, it sounds like you're dealing with a lot of um, important issues in real life. Are, are you actually hoping people, the reader, get something out of it? Besides entertainment? Yeah. Look, my my first job is to entertain, and I never forget that. Okay. And I have nothing at all negative or demeaning to say about books that are, are exclusively entertainment. Good on them. I read them. I love them. And, I, and, I, and they're very difficult to, to pull off, to achieve. Having said that, you know, I think I came to a point in my career, and again, you know, not to be boring, we're going back to those drug books, where I felt that I needed to make a stronger statement or try to impact people on a more serious level. Otherwise, I was afraid I would be just another guy making money off dope. Uh, and, you know, in researching and writing those books, I, I saw a lot of stuff. Uh, I came to certain pretty strong opinions about the so-called war on drugs, about mass incarceration, about immigration. And, and so I guess my hope is that that a novel can do things that journalism can't always do. You know what I mean? Like it, headlines always have a way of becoming stereotypes. And so let's take immigration. You know, you, you can talk about, quote, illegal immigration, although I would argue that no human being is illegal. Uh, so it's one thing to read about it in the paper, but it becomes a stereotype. It's another thing if I can get a reader to spend hours or days with a 10-year-old boy, you know, fleeing violence in his home and trying to make it to the United States on a train. Um, it's one thing to read about the, the opioid epidemic. And again, it always becomes a stereotype. It's another thing 
if the reader spends time with a 26-year-old heroin addict and, and learns what her life is like from the inside, you know, through their eyes. And I, I hope that that has had some kind of impact on, on some readers. Well, let's go back to the force. You were right about those 35 pages, by the way. <laughs> Thank those, you. Those are great. I, I pretty much read all your books here. Thanks. The, um, you're going, you, your new series, I'm, on, I'm halfway through the, the next book. You sent me an arc. Thank you very much. Welcome. Um, I, I always get a sense when I read Don Winslow that there's more than just you've done research and you've written a book, that there's, there, there are, Alice's question, there are themes. There may be old themes, yeah. old historical classic books that show up in these books that maybe sure. people don't see. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, when I, when I sometimes, I very rarely speak with groups of writers, but occasionally I speak with groups of, of crime writers. And, and I'm always trying to say that we, we look for our roots in, in a soil that's too shallow. You know, we, we go back to Raymond Chandler, or sometimes we go back to Akon and Doyle. Uh, but, and, and this is what I was doing in these books, we also need to go back to Dickens, to um, Fielding, to Shakespeare. You know, Godfather is a, a retelling of Shakespeare's Henry IV. Uh, and then we go back to the, to the classics, to the Greeks and to the Romans, because really, by the time those boys were finished, Every theme that we typically explore in my much beloved crime fiction genre uh, had already been done. You know, uh, I read the Greek tragic dramas. They're, they are noir plots. If, if, if you put a trumpet score behind them and shot them in black and white, <laughs> you, you, you have noir. When you look at the Iliad, it's about a gang war. You know, right. you look at the Odyssey and the Aeneid, it's about fugitives. Uh, and so I very much have those themes in mind, and, and but I, I don't think you can avoid them. I, I think that they're they're part of our heritage, and and they're part of what we owe to our heritage. Well, Boy, do I sound starts... preachy, don't I? No, yeah, you, but it's good because your current series starts off with a uh, battle over a woman, right? Sound familiar historically? I, exactly, and you know it's 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 so funny you should say that because when I first read the Iliad, which embarrassingly was later in life. Uh, I thought, I already know this story. I, I saw it played out in the beaches of New England. It started a gang war that lasted for 10 years and cost 40 lives. And I remember it as a child. You know, and that's what gave me the idea to, to do these books. I, I'm going to ask one question, then I'll let everybody else go. Um, I'm, an, I'm an audio book guy, too. That's so I can burn through Don Winslow books quick. And I, and I, get, and I also yeah. buy them so I can read the words because I want to see how you put them together. What do you think of hearing your words spoken out like that? Uh, uh, listen, I'm all for it. You know, I, I am not an audiobook listener particularly. I, I, I tend to be just much more a visual reader. But listen, the people who have done my books have been great, I think, you know. Um, and it, it, it's fun to listen to that. And, and I, speaking about our roots, I mean, I always remember that stories, including, by the way, the Iliad, were originally spoken and not read. Yes. You know, and so um, that aspect of reading aloud, and as I said, I often read aloud my own dialogue to myself and occasionally my own narrative, not, not so often. I think it's an important element. And I, and I also think that we forget, by the way, that when people are visually reading our books, they are hearing the words in their brain. Whether, you know, they're, they're listening to an audio book or they're reading it, they are hearing it. 
And so there, there's always that aspect in the writing. Don, at this point in your career where you've accumulated 20-plus novels and there's obviously a lot of feedback, not only in terms of uh, critic writing, but also Amazon reviews and meeting mm -hmm. readers at book signings, do you have an idea of what your readers, your fans are expecting, and how much do you interact with that idea when you're writing? Not at all. Not at all. Um, not at all. I think I would be doing them a disservice. If I were to sort of categorize what a Don Winslow reader is, I, I think I'm insulting them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm insulting their intelligence. And, um, and so I don't want to do that. And I, I just want to tell the stories that I want to tell and, and tell them as best I can and then hope that they find a readership and that the readership I have enjoys them. Some of my readers, you know, obviously enjoy other stories more than others, you know. So I'll, I'll get mail saying, you know, man, I love your surfing stories. I wish you wrote more of those. I'm not so crazy about the others or vice versa, you know. And that's that's fine. I, I think that, that once a book is out there, it doesn't belong to the author anymore. You know, I would I would never tell a reader what the correct interpretation of, of a book is or the correct reaction. You know, uh, I think their experience belongs to them. So, no, you know, I, I really uh, obviously I've met thousands of my readers over the years going on book tours and things and, you know, feedback on social media more recently and all of that. But I, I don't try to, you know, characterize them and then write to them. Got it. And then, of course, first and foremost, it's you. I mean, I would imagine, based on what you just said, you're writing for yourself at the core. Yeah. In those initial drafts, you know, that's the only way I know how to do it. You know, I, I need to be in love with it. I need to be passionate about it uh, and excited, you know, every day to get up and do it. Uh, and then later, I, I'm probably just as excited to try to hone it for the reader. But initially, you know, when I'm conceiving a project or thinking, do I want to write this or do I want to write that, it's very selfish. Uh, you know, it's just stuff that interests me and that, that I'm passionate about. Are you ride or die crime fiction? Is that where you expect to be until the end of your career? Yeah. And <laughs> is, that, uh, is that strictly out of love and excitement and passion, or is there also a commercial component to that where you know when you're another one goes out with Don Winslow on the cover, there's a certain baseline expectation of how it will do. Oh, sure. Look, I, I'm not naive and I've, you know, I've been around a while. So I, I know that, you know, a Don Winslow novel is, is going to be a crime novel. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, yeah, I've been in love with the genre for a long, long time. Now, it's not the only genre I read, by the way. You know, I, I, uh, I read a lot of nonfiction, and I read some, I, I don't know what the phrase is, general fiction. I don't know, you know, what to call it. But, uh, you know, I I love the genre. I, I was once asked by a journalist, in, in not a terribly friendly way, uh, he said, do you think as a crime fiction writer you live in a literary ghetto? Oh, wow. Ouch, ouch. Yeah. And I said, absolutely. That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me give you the answer. Uh, absolutely, and I love my neighborhood. And I love my neighbors, you know. Yeah, I mean, a, you're with the people in your genre. It's populist. I mean, but that's no comment on the uh, literary, artistic, or intellectual value at all. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, some people think it is, you know, and, okay. and I think that I think that we have, in a perverse way, profited from being looked down on a little bit. Okay, okay. I, I think it's given us a chip on the shoulder that's quite useful, uh, you know, uh, and it makes me laugh when I get questions like that, you know, because it, if you find better narrative prose than Raymond Chandler, please let me know. Right. Okay. Well said. Right. You know, if, if, if you read the first few paragraphs of The Long Goodbye out loud, sheer poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I, I'm aware of the literary value of what we do. You know, I really am. And, I, and, and there are so many authors in our genre and out of our genre that I'm in awe of, absolutely in awe of. Uh, who should we read, Don? Who should we read? You know, besides me. Oh, oh man, come besides, on. Besides I, you know, Al. Besides Al. Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> if we get over that hurdle. <laughs> you know, listen, I mean, the classics, you know, Chandler, Hammett, the two McDonald's, uh, in terms of just the pure writer's writer, Lawrence Block, I think is pretty wonderful. The, the late Charles Williford uh, was great. I, I always a, a little afraid of, of this question for leaving somebody out. Yeah. You know, uh, Dennis Lehane. Um, you know, you, you're not going to find a better book than The Given Day. Uh, George V. Higgins, I think, wrote the best crime novel ever, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, you know, there's so many. You know, I, I got to go to Raymond Chandler's house uh, in La Jolla. It was, it was just like going to church, you know. Uh, I got to go to the room where the, um, you know, The Long Goodbye was written. And I was quivering. You know, amazing. You're they're, a fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a disciple, you know. But there, there's so many great writers in our genre, you know. Um, Stephen King, you know, maybe not exactly, you know, in the crime genre, but around there. You know, what a, what a great writer he is and what a great guy he is, you know. And that, that's the other thing, man. In, in, uh, I just, I like the people in this genre. I like the, the writers, you know. Uh, there's not a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of mutual support. Uh, just, just good people, you know, which which makes life a lot more fun. Is there any world? I, uh, forgive the question because I'm sure I know the answer. But is there any world in which the TV movie end of things is so active and lucrative that you bow out of novels? No, I don't think so. Listen, I mean, you know, as I said, FX is making the three drug books, and, and yeah. you know, there's been a lot of interest from streaming, you know, um, platforms and, and other pieces. No, look, guys, you know, I'm retiring. You know, I, I, I wrote the third book in this, this trilogy, and, and I think that's going to be it for me. Oh. Uh, so it's not really a, a, a kind of an active question oh, about I that. But um, I uh, – no, I – I think I'm smart enough, just smart enough maybe, to know what I'm good at, you know, which is not a lot. And uh, I think I'm pretty good at writing a crime novel, uh, and I like doing it. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I would stay with that. But, but again, you know, I, I, um, I'm kind of in the process of wrapping things up now. So that's it. So it's the moot question because the end of the trilogy yeah. is the mic drop. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to become a dancer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed that going to become a dancer now aren't you a dancer <laughs> broadway beckons <laughs> oh my gosh listen i was born in spite of rhythm not with it i i don't uh, <laughs> uh yeah i i don't think anybody wants to see me dance <laughs> was this so so with your retirement 
was yeah. this sort of a Tarantino move where, like, at a certain point, I don't know if it was from the very beginning, but he decided his body of work would be 10 films and there's still one more remaining, which he's now, he just announced. So was this something you you kind of knew from the get-go that, okay, you're not going to... No. Okay, so this is something that snuck up on you along the way. Yeah, I, I don't know that I use the phrase snuck up. Okay. Um, I, I think that I've been contemplating it for a while, but... Um, you know, we don't get to choose the times we live in, do we? And I started looking around at the country and the world mm -hmm. uh, around 2015 or so. <laughs> you can do the math. Yeah. And uh, and got sort of more and more vocal uh, and active about some of the things that I was seeing. Uh, things have only gotten worse and in some ways. And so I, I think that, um, you know, a big, big part of the decision to retire from, from crime writing was to be able to vote, you know, more time and more energy to, to what I think is an important fight right now. So uh, how exactly does that show up? So um, how does that manifest in your work? Well, look, there's only so much time in the day. There's only so much mental energy, you know. And so it, it got increasingly difficult to write both books and do that, do the political stuff as well. Mm. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that the political stuff has an urgency to it that novels simply don't. Got it. You know? okay. And so, yeah, we just, you know, suit up and show up, I guess. And you, so I take it to mean, as a matter of course, given the way things have gone, in the meantime, you're proud of your body of work. Like, is there also a feeling of being settled around the fiction? Like, this is my statement. This is how this ended up. And you, you feel at peace yeah. with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely at peace with it. You know, 23 novels, um, you know, two kind of major trilogies. I've been trying to write this trilogy for 28 years. And in some ways, it's the work of my lifetime. And, and so to complete that and then that coinciding with the times we're in just felt like the right call. Mm. Well, if someone says, hey, Don, which, what book should I read <laughs> to get the quintessential Don? You know, you know all the questions coming. Is it the trilogy? Is it this trilogy? Is it the one you've been working on? Or is it, or is it, you know, read this book. This is the one that I was on fire, um, my best dialogue, my best everything. I don't think I can do that. I'm not going to answer no, that question. That's impossible. Oh, come on. No, come on. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I used to have a pat answer to that, but it was a true pat answer. It was, it was like my next book, you know? Because, mm, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you always should be, you know, dancing with the woman you're in love with, right? But mm. uh, I don't have that pat answer available to me anymore, you know? Looking back on, on 23 books, I'm, I'm fond of all of them, but in, in different ways. You know, I guess like maybe you are with your children. I don't know. I only have one kid, so I don't, I don't really know. But, you know, uh, they're all a little different. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that I could pick out one book. Now, sometimes people ask me that question, you know, like, oh, I've never read you. What book should I read? And, and just in sort of talking to them and getting to know them a little bit, you know, I can say, well, maybe you should start with this one or this one, you know, just because I kind of know them a little bit, you know, but. But as a sort of general question, I don't think I could answer it. At this point, are you are you um, doing social media, website? How how do you like fans and readers to to find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Donwin's on Twitter, and uh, and then Shane and I um, do videos on Twitter. Yeah, so that's how you find us. No TikTok. No TikTok. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
you got to get on there. Start dancing. I don't. No, no dancing. No dancing for me. Although, if, if, you, if you go on Twitter, actually, uh, there's these two Irish dancers, the brothers, who do this incredible Irish dancing, who've done two little videos for my books. <laughs> oh, that's pretty and interesting. Oh, it's fun. Go, no, go watch it. They're, like, tossing the book around and dancing and all. It's, 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 it's really fun. Yeah. So what's next then? What are you going to? Are, that's it. You're just going to do this tour and that's it. Or are you going to do anything else other than the politics? No. Um, well, listen. I mean, the third book comes out in a year, a year from now. Okay. Uh, and so I'll be back. You know, doing doing promotions for that. Uh, that will be a finale. Uh, and then you know, no, I'm just just doing the the social media, uh, for lack of a better word, activism thing. Will you miss writing? Sure. Um, you know, it's it's strange. I've, I'm coming on now just about a year of not writing novels. Uh, and so I don't have that much experience with it because a lot of that year was on tour and, and some other stuff that was going on. Um, and so I, I, I'm now just kind of getting used to the idea. So let's see. You know. yeah. But yeah, well, I miss it. You know, I mean, look, when you spend, you know, 30-something years doing the same thing every day, you know, uh, and then you get up and you're having your coffee and you're thinking, oh, I, I don't need to do 10 pages today. It's it's a different kind of feeling. Sure. I guess your relationship with your books have changed over the years. Has, has there been certain books that have gotten better for you, like you've come closer to over years? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I'm sorry to disappoint. I I don't, you know, I I, I don't go back and read my books, you know. Um, because again, you know, always involved in the book I'm doing right at the moment, you know, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think the relationship with the books have changed much, to tell you the truth. Love them and leave them. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Mine. Um, I've really enjoyed it, guys. So now, of course, the new book is called, uh, City of Dreams, a novel, and our guest, is the author of that book, Don Winslow. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Something weird media. I'll be back.